Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's uh, Psalm 19, verse 14. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. Uh, we are beginning, really, to take our look at the, the gospel according to Matthew. And we've got to begin at the beginning, right? We've got to begin at um, the beginning of the story, and where that beginning is is a genealogy, what we used to refer to when, when most people just had the um, King James Version, we used to refer to them as the begatitudes because it would say so-and-so begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so. So most of my life and most of most people's lives, you just kind of scan through it at some level and then move on. You don't pay too much attention to those genealogies. There's multiple genealogies in the Bible, and it's usually to, to prove, pretty much always, it's, it's either to say that it is to prove somebody's provenance, right? So it's to say, okay, this person had the ability to do what he did because he, he had the right genealogy, he had the right heritage, or she had the right heritage, either way. And so it's authenticating somebody in the role that they're in, okay? The first thing, though, the first genealogies, which is the ones we're going to look at today, because we're not going to actually look at Matthew's genealogy today, because I want to explain some things about genealogies first, is we're going to look at genealogies in Genesis. We're going to look at them in an overview, not in a, not in a real focused way. We could, but I'm not, well, I'll save that until I do Genesis, which will come after I do Matthew. So, And I'm doing Matthew simply because Suzanne asked me to. So uh, the point of the the genealogies in, in Matthew is to authenticate Jesus, just so you'll know. So it authenticates him first as a Jew because he points, him, points us back to David and to Abraham. So Abraham authenticates that he's, he's a Jew, and David authenticates he's in the kingly line. And, and he needs to be in the kingly line. He needs to be in the kingly line for one simple reason, is that is he is to sit on the throne of David. The Messiah will sit on the throne of David, so he has to come from David's line. So that's the reason that, that he chooses two waypoints. He begins with Abraham, stops with David, and then picks up again with David all the way up through the time of the exile in the time of like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel and those guys. And then from there on up to the present time. And so some of the names are going to be really familiar to us, and some of those names are not going to be very familiar. Some of them we're going to know and we're going to be able to point to in the Bible. Others we're not going to be able to point to. Those things that ha- those ones that happen after the exile, most of those people are going to be kind of unknown to us because they happen in the intertestamental period. The, the genealogies would have been present in the temple in Jerusalem to have authenticated all those things. You're going to notice another thing, too, that Matthew's genealogy and, and Luke's genealogy, they're the only two genealogies in the New Testament, those are going to look different from one another, and it's because they do two different things. One, Matthew is tracing through the patrilineal line, right? So he why is he going through the patrilineal line. That, what does that mean? That means the line of the father. So he's looking at Joseph's line because he needs to be in the line of Messiah. Now, Luke is going to point us into Mary's line. That's the matrilineal line. That proves his, his, um, his membership in Judaism because it today uh, and at that time, a man was Jewish or a person was Jewish if their mother was Jewish. Because you couldn't trace it through the father, because there were cases along the way where the father was uncertain. So you could never know who the father was, but you always knew who the mother was. And so that's particularly apropos in Mary's case. 
So that's the reason that, that Luke does what he does versus what Matthew does what he does. So the genealogies are different. So what I want to look at, though, is how genealogies are constructed. They're not intended always to be literal. They're not intended to be a record of every single body that was in that line. So what you get is is that we're told in the in the genealogies in Genesis what we're told is is that that we're we're going to give uh, the as soon as it's possible to actually have a genealogy right so there's more than just two generations um, then we're going to get a genealogy but but what we're going to get the first genealogy we're going to get is found in in Genesis four verses seventeen to twenty six Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch when he built a city he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So Cain named it after Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael, Methushael, Methushael, Lamech. So there's a Lamech there. So Lamech had two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the other was Zillah. Then Ada bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain, who was the forger of instruments of bronze and iron. So he was the one who kind of makes it possible to have not only implements for agriculture, but also weapons. So the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And then, so then we, we hear this story about Lamech. Who was what? What would he be? Let's see. So he had Cain had Enoch, and then Enoch had Erod, and Erod had uh, two ch- sons, and then one of those sons had Lamech. So we're talking about father to Enoch, grandfather to Erod, great grandfather to Methushael, and then great great grandfather to Lamech. And then we're told a story about Lamech. He said, "Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. That's his wives. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me." In other words, he, he's he's bragging about this. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, let Lamech's be seventy-sevenfold. And we're going to hear Jesus use that number seventy-seven later when he talks about how many times I must forgive my brother. Peter suggests seven. He says, "No, no, no, seventy-seven times." So he's taken Lamech's boast about I will be avenged 77 times, he, he takes that and turns it on its ear and talks about it instead in terms of forgiveness. But that's the end of our concern or interest in the Bible with the Cain, Cain line. It ends right there with Lamech, and then we just move on. Adam knew his wife again. She had a son, and his name was Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And then to Seth... Also, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So now we're going to get the more godly line, the Seth line, and we're going to hear about them. And in Genesis 5, so the very next chapter, the very next verse, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Well, we've already heard some of the generations of Adam through the Cain line. Abel didn't have a line. He didn't have any children. So now, though, we're picking up with this line that we're going to focus on. We're done with the Cain line. We're going to push that into the background and move it out of the way. We're only, he's going to tell us the lines of who we're going to focus on. He's going to give us some other information, and it might have been meaningful to the people at the time. And some of the names in some of this genealogy, the next couple of genealogies are going to be familiar to us. So what we get here now is we're following the godly line, the Sethite line. So we get a recap. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them, and he blessed them and named them man, and they were created. Adam would be the word for man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth, and we were just told about that. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. 
So we know he's being fruitful and multiplying. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. And we were told that at the end of chapter 4. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years, and then he died. And then we start hearing about the rest of the line. Enosh lived 90 years. He had Kenan. He lived after that 815 more years and had other sons and daughters, so he's, 800, or he's what, 905 years old. And then after that, Kenan, his son, Enosh's son, those are the grandson of Seth, had lived 70 years and he had Mahalalel. And then after that, Kenan lived another 840 years, so he's 910 now, and he had other sons and daughters, and then he died. And then Mahalalel was 65, he had Jared, so that'd be great, great um, grandson of, of um, Seth. I'm not going to keep up with this anymore, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> So he's 65, Mahalalel, when he has Jared, and then he lives another 830 years. So he's 895 when he dies. Then Jared lived 162 years, and then he had Enoch. This is a different Enoch from the one in the Cain line. Um, So then he had Enoch after 162 years, and then he lived another 800 years. So he's 962, Jared is. And then Enoch is 65, and he has a son, and his name is Methuselah which sounds a whole lot, Methushahel, which is one of the Cain line children. So he has Methuselah, and then he walked with God, Enoch did, after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And then Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch didn't die. And so what we get then is later in the intertestamental period comes a book, right? First Enoch which purports to tell, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story of Enoch, what happened to him after God took him. And so you'll see that in, in the book of First Enoch. And I'm going to recommend, actually, that you read it. And I'm not going to recommend that you read it as a piece of Scripture. I'm going to recommend that you read it because it influenced the authors of the New Testament. Maybe after I do Genesis, maybe I'll jump over and do Enoch, just for the heck of it. Um, just to bring something new to the table. But but the book of First Enoch is purporting to tell the rest of the story of this man Enoch, whom God took. And so that then is going to tell some stories about him being taken into heaven, and um, it's going to tell some of the, the backstory and the rest of the story on the Nephilim and some other things. It's going to tie up a bunch of loose ends, because nobody likes loose ends, and nobody likes loose ends less than the the Jewish people. That everything's got to be tied up and tied tight. So why did God, for instance, why did God choose Abraham? Well, you and I are content to say, well, we don't know. It's, a, it's an imponderable thing, and they're not. They believe that what we're supposed to do is look for clues and cues in the Scriptures and point us in that direction. And so what they come up with, he's the world's first monotheist, the first one to believe in one God. So that means his father didn't believe in one God. So, it, because his father didn't believe in one God, then he becomes, in, in Jewish lore, he becomes a, a, a maker of idols for sale. And then Abraham confronts that. This is Jewish lore now. He confronts that, and he confronts it in an interesting way. His father leaves him in charge of the shop. He comes back, and everything is destroyed. And he said, what happened? He said, these guys all destroyed one another. They started arguing who was the greatest, and they destroyed one another. And the father says, you know that couldn't happen. These things are just lifeless idols. He said, bingo. So that, that they say that's the reason God chose Abraham, is because he deduced, a la Romans 1, for instance, because Paul says you can know these things, about you can know certain things about God from observing his creation. And so they would say, yep, that's exactly what happened. Abraham figured that out. He was the first guy to figure that out and then kind of bet his life on it. 
So they don't like loose ends. And so they, the, you get this book of First Enoch because, well, what happened? And then there are other imponderables in this same area of Genesis because the Nephilim come up in the very next chapter. The first first four verses of um, Genesis 6, we're in Genesis 5 with these with this uh, genealogy, we, we hear about the Nephilim. And so there, there's some kind of connection that must be involved here. And so we're, they're going to pull all those things together. Like I said, the, the New Testament writers were influenced by the book of Enoch. We see it in different places. There's places where Jesus seems to be alluding to the book of First Enoch, so it's worth reading with the understanding that you can't set doctrine by it. So anyway, so that gets us through Enoch. He's 365, God takes him, and then he has this son, his name is Methuselah, and then Methuselah has a child. And remember that this Methuselah that I just mentioned also sounds very like, my, like uh, somebody in Cain's line, Methushael, and Methushael had a son, Cain's uh, in the Cain line, and his name was what? Methushael's son was Lamech, right? So Methuselah in the Seth line has a son as well. And what's his name? Lamech. It's a different Lamech. So these things are being redeemed in the Seth line. So Methuselah then, he was 187 when he had Lamech, and then he lived another 782 years. So he lived 969 years, and then he died. So he's the record holder. Methuselah is the oldest man that the Bible tells us about. This Lamech is a better Lamech, right? Because that Lamech was the one who said, I've killed a man for, for harming me, and, and vengeance on my behalf will be 77 times. So it's just this, this world of hatred, and the reason it can be 77 times is because Lamech has a son who made bronze and iron implements. Like I said, not just for agriculture, but also for weapons. And so, so there can be greater um, devastation wreaked on behalf of of Lamech than where it's even possible with Cain. The greater possibility exists because their weapons now doesn't depend on the on the fortuitous finding of a rock in a field, for instance, like Cain used to kill his brother Abel. So so now we get a different Lamech, different from that one who boasted about the the uh, vengeance that would be taken on anybody who harmed him. We get a different Lamech. This is in the righteous line of Seth, and so this Lamech, whose father is Methuselah, as opposed to Methushael in the Cain line, that this one, this Lamech, lives 182 years, and he has a son, and his name is Noah. And because he says, out of the ground the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. And then he lived another 595 years, and so he died at 777 years. Do you see those sevens in there? That's important. So Noah then is 500 years old before he has children. He fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth after he was 500. So Noah put off fatherhood for quite a long time, <laughs> 500 years. But but so what happens, what, out of the ground, the Lord is cursed. This one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. The word Noah means peace. And so what, what the belief is, again, here we are tying up loose ends, right? So the loose end here is, well, it's how did Noah live up to his name? How is he the one who, out of the ground the Lord is cursed, shall bring relief from the work and from the painful toil of our hands? So what does Jewish lore say about that? How did he do that? He invented the plow, and he harnessed the power of animals rather than having to do the work yourself. And so he invents a plow that can be dragged along by an animal. So that's how they believe that he did that, because there's a loose end. How did he do it? We're not told. There's nothing in here that says this is how Noah did that. So, ah. What are we talking about? How does he bring him relief? He brings him relief from the labor that's necessary because of God cursing the land. 
So the land is cursed, and man then overcomes it, and the man who does is Noah. That's what they believe. So you got to tie up loose ends. You can't just leave that there. So there, there's another set of genealogies, right? So, so you get these genealogies, and now that points us in the direction of Noah. So now we've got Noah, who comes next in Genesis 6. We've got him tied back to Adam through Seth. So we're proving that we're right directly down the line from Adam. Now, then after the flood, in Genesis 10, we're going to get another set of genealogies. And these are the sons of Noah. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Well, Ham was cursed because he uncovered his father's nakedness. I'm not getting into all that right now. But but I believe that Michael Heiser's right on that, and that in uncovering his father's nakedness is actually having sex with his mother while his father's drunk. Because that's the way things read in the book of Leviticus. The nakedness of the father is the mother, is your mother. So the, that's what Heiser says, and I, I actually do. I believe that. I think there's good reason to believe that. So then, so what we get is the Ham line is cursed. So we get Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem is the line that's going to continue to be important. That will be the people of God. That will be the Shemite line. So, but we still have loose ends, right? So those loose ends have to be tied up. So first we get not the genealogy of Shem. That's going to come last. Just like Seth's came after Cain's. We're tying up a loose end with these other people. So who are these people? Okay, so we got Japheth. So he's got Gomer, Magog, Medad, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras. Those are his sons. And then, so now we're going to get the sons of Gomer. And we get those people. And then we're going to get the sons of Javan. And then we're going to get the, uh, who are these people? And then, then he's going to tell us real quick, from these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. So he's giving us sort of the, the demographic thing. He's saying that accounts for these people who live on the coastlands. That's who these people are. They're descendants of Japheth, the son of, Ham, uh, son of Noah. And then he's going to give us the next set, the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, Canaan. The sons of Cush, one of the sons of Ham. Those are Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabtika. The sons of Ramah, the, 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 who is one of the sons, or the grandsons of Ham, uh, are Sheba and Dedan. Cush, one of the sons of Ham, fathers, um, yep, uh, fathers Nimrod. And Nimrod is an important name. He's the first on earth to be a mighty man. He's a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it's said like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, which must have been a turn of phrase that was popular at that time in comparing other people back to Nimrod. The beginning of his kingdom, Nimrod's, was Babel. Do you hear me? Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalni, in the land of Shinar. The land of Shinar comes up one other place in the very next chapter in the Tower of Babel. So the beginning of Nimrod's kingdom was in Babel in the land of Shinar. And we're told that what happens is the Tower of Babel is built in the plain of Shinar. So we're getting a little premonition of what's coming next, and we're intended to pay attention to that. From that land, then he went into Assyria and built Nineveh. So that great city goes all the way back to Nimrod, that great city to which Daniel is taken thousands of years later goes back to this Nimrod, who is one of the grandsons of Ham, the line that's cursed through his grandson, Canaan, through his son, Canaan. So that's one of the other reasons Heiser says he believes that 
this uncovering the father's nakedness goes back to that. Why would you curse the grandson and not the son who did this? Well, it's because he's the product of that incestuous relationship. I'm not saying this definitively. I'm just telling you I believe that to be true, having listened to Michael Heiser talk about it. And then so so he goes from there, from Blaine of Shinar to Nineveh, Rehoboth, Kala, and racing beyond Nineveh and Kala. That's a great city. And then Egypt, one of the other sons, fathered some people, and I'm not going to read all their names. And then we're told that Canaan fathered Sidon. So remember, Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon into that region. When it gets hot in, in the land, he goes up to Tyre and Sidon. Sidon is a, a son of Canaan who is a son of Ham, who is a son of Noah. So we're getting, wrapping up these lines, right? So this Sidon place, that's where Jesus meets the Syrophoenician woman who refers to him as the son of David. So they're all family still at some level, but it's very attenuated. And then, so he has Father Sidon, his firstborn, and then Heth, H-E-T-H, and then a bunch of other people. And these are going to be very familiar names for us. The Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hamathites. A lot of these people we're going to meet when they go into the land to possess the land because these are Canaanites. So who are the Canaanites? They are children of Canaan, the grandson of Noah, the one who is cursed because of sexual sin. And that then continues to play itself out in the character of the nation and the nations, actually, that come on. And then he goes on, and it says the, the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon, so north of Israel, in the direction of Gerar, as far as the Gaza Strip, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, as far as Lashah. So that gives us another heads up on Sodom and Gomorrah. Ah, these people are the descendants of Canaan, the people, one who was born in an incestuous relationship. And therefore, out of the Canaanites, we get out of that incestuous relationship and that sexual misadventure, we then get people like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, which then they influence Lot's daughters because they live there and then they come out and they get the old man drunk and they have sex with the old man because they don't think there's any other men around. So they do that. And one of the daughters is then the father or the mother of the Moabites. And the character of the Moabites is assumed to be they're obsessed with sex as well. So that's how you understand these genealogies. And then finally, he comes down and and tells us who the the Shemites are, which which becomes our people, the the Jews. They they are the sons of Shem are Elam, Asher, Arpashad, Lud, and Aram. And then we go to Uz, Hul, Gather, and Mash. Arpashad fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. To Eber were born two sons, Peleg and Joktan. Joktan then has Almadad, Shelef, Hazarmephith, Jerah, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obel, Abimeo, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. The territory in which they live extends, he says, from Mesha in the direction of Safar to the hill country of the east. And these are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their relations, and their lands. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations and from these nations spread abroad on all the earth after the flood. So he's telling us this is what happened to that group of people, and this is the line that I'm now going to follow. That's the point of these genealogies. He's leaving out names all along the way in these things, and prominent things that are left out here are women. We don't see any women in any of these genealogies. That's going to be different when we get over into Matthew. We're going to see that a little differently.